Welcome to the podcast, Leading Change, Why Transformation Efforts Fail by John Cotter. This is a Harvard Business Review article and part of the Change Leadership Module 3. Um, so if you're reading this article, as I mentioned in one of the previous ones, this is another HBR article, which are typically written for practitioners. There's typically limited uh, empirical research in these. Um, it's really more of a how-to or a best practice type article. And that's certainly the case with this one. This particular article is... Um, one of the most cited change leadership articles uh, of all time. And John Cotter, a former Harvard business professor, wrote a book by the same name. This article uh, was a precursor to the book, and uh, you're certainly welcome to take a look at the book if you like. Uh, but this, this article certainly has seen a lot of reads. It's influenced a lot of, um, of movements in terms of change management. And it's one of the seminal pieces that people typically refer to when they talk about change management. Um, so real quickly, you're going to read another article, if you haven't already, um, by Bai et al. called Change Leadership, Oxymorons, and Myths. And they're going to call out a lot of the, the, um, the, the writing and quote-unquote research in, um, in the field of change management. And Cotter is one of their targets. They talk about uh, Cotter's piece as being somewhat typical of the types of leadership articles you'll see when people talk about change management. So when they reference it, you'll know this is the article they're talking about. I'm going to go through and kind of touch on what Cotter, Cotter's um, primary points. I hope you've already read this. You definitely want to read it before you listen to the podcast. And uh, so I'm going to touch on a few things and go ahead and get going with that. Um, one thing to note real quickly, as I said, this is not an empirical piece. In fact, uh, Cotter's work, uh, his, his writings in this piece and in his book are really based primarily on his own experiences with businesses as a consultant, case studies, um, things he's seen. So they're really not based on, uh, I mean, I guess they're based on data, but they're based on anecdotal data as opposed to um, um, survey research or, you know, large pools of data or anything like that. So um, anyway, the idea in brief. So the article starts out with it. There's a page in there that kind of gives you a chart. I think it's a great chart. It really kind of breaks down the entire article in one, um, one kind of visual. He uh, Cotter is a big proponent of stages. He basically says there's eight stages that you go through in change management, um, in a in a transformation effort. And Cotter would say that you need to go through them in order. That you can't skip change skip stages. That's a bad idea. Um, shortcuts don't work. He talks about some of the actions you must do in the different stages and some of the pitfalls. So let's see, to start off with, um, as I mentioned, the article is somewhat prescriptive. It's going to tell you exactly what to do in each stage and what action to take care of. So starting uh, at the very beginning, he talks about, now one thing Cotter mentions, and some of the authors in one of those other articles I mentioned, the Oxymorons and Myth article take uh, issue with, uh, he makes the point a decade later his le his work on leading change remains definitive um, and some question that you know this article was first written in 1995 it was reproduced for Harvard Business Review in 2005 I think I have to go back and look I think that's right um, well now it's 2019 and so the question is is it still um, definitive if it ever was right some people would argue maybe it wasn't um, you can notice even in the, the even at the very beginning in the editor's note, guiding change would be the ultimate test of a leader. No business survives over the long term if it can't reinvent itself. 
You can tell from the language there that uh, this article really views the leader as the agent or the action or the agitator for change, uh, that it's the responsibility of the leader to make change happen, and that's kind of the way they, they approach it. Um, Cotter m mentions that a few of co the corporate efforts he's been a part of over the years have been very successful. Some have been utter failures, but most are somewhere in between with a definite bent towards uh, being unsuccessful. He talks about how error one is uh, not establishing a great enough sense of urgency. Um, you know, there's a, um, another famous um, researcher out of Stanford named Jeffrey Pfeffer, uh, who I, I cite frequently and does some great work in the area of, um, of uh, change. Pfeffer talks about how lots of organizations say they want to be different, but most of them don't want to be that different. So what they tend to do is they tend to hedge. So they say, oh, we're going to make a great change, and then when the time comes to go chips in, they only go part way in because they don't want to overcommit. There's too much risk involved. You know, Cotter talks about, well, over 50% of companies I've watched fall and fail in this first phase, and that is creating a great enough sense of urgency. You know, what are the reasons for the failure? Sometimes executives underestimate how hard it will be to drive people out of the comfort zones. Sometimes they overestimate how successful they've already been at creating urgency. And sometimes they just lack patience. Um, they just want to go ahead and jump right in. Um, you know, a paralyzed senior manager often comes from having too many managers and not enough leaders. Again, this goes back to the idea that, you know, leaders uh, are change agents. Managers are status quo agents. Managers want to keep things the same. Leaders are people who want to really make changes. Uh, bad business results are the result are both a blessing and a curse, Scotter says. You know, on the positive side, losing money does get people's attention. So you start to get people to have that sense of urgency, maybe. It also gives you less room for maneuvering. So when you're having a good, a, you know, when things are going well in your business, you've got more room to maneuver and make changes. Unfortunately, nobody wants to make changes because things are going well. When things are going poorly, people want to change, but it's harder to make changes because you have less uh, things like capital and, and degrees of freedom, right? Um, so the question becomes, when is the sense of urgency high enough? You know, Cotter says 75% of a company's management must be convinced that business as usual is, not, is no longer acceptable. Um, you know, that's his rule of thumb. Again, it's not based on any data that we've seen. That's just kind of his take. Um, the second error he talks about is not creating a powerful enough coalition. Um, this is the idea that you've got to have buy-in in order to, um, to be successful with change. And in the case study for module three that I have you do, you know, one of the things I assess in your communication with the organization in that case study is, you know, are you attempting to garner buy-in and how are you doing that? Um, whenever you don't have a critical mass, um, it's very difficult to get anything uh, accomplished, right? So, you know, what's that tipping point? You know, do you have to have a third of the people, two-thirds of the people. Um, as it just mentioned, you know, Cotter would say that if you don't have 75% of the management convinced, then you're going to have difficulty. Um, in most successful cases that Cotter mentions, the coalition is always pretty powerful in terms of titles, information, expertise, reputations, and relationships. And this goes back again to Cotter's belief that followers are generally more of the resistors and have to be convinced and it's really up to the powerful, the leaders in an organization to get it done. And so, you know, he believes coalitions really 
Um, you know, certainly you'd love to have all the followers on board, but what's essential is that you have enough of the power players on board. Um, uh, what else does he say under error three? You know, companies generally fail in phase two because they underestimate the difficulties of producing change and therefore they don't put enough importance in, in getting this coalition together. Sometimes they expect a team led by a staff executive from HR to be able to handle this. You know, and he points out that no matter how capable or dedicated the staff leader is, you've got to have line leaders and executives um, in order to have enough power to get the job done. Um, error three, lacking a vision. I talk about vision in the um, uh, how to communicate clearly during organizational change article by Johnson that I, I have in another podcast, the importance of vision. Um, in every successful transformation effort that I've ever seen, Cotter says the guiding coalition develops a picture of the future that is relatively easy to communicate and appeals to customers, stockholders, and employees. The vision always goes beyond the numbers and that are typically found in five-year plans. A vision says something that helps clarify direction in which you need to move. Uh, Brad Smith of Intuit says in one of his lectures that um, a vision is like a soccer goal for a seven-year-old soccer team, right? If you've ever seen a seven-year-old soccer team, they're out there, they're all kicking balls in every direction. People are fighting over whose ball is whose. You know, this person kicked my ball and this person, you know, messed my ball up. But if you put that goal down at the end, all of a sudden everybody starts kicking balls into the net and they're all excited because the goal becomes the vision really quickly. People can see it and they understand their purpose. And that's kind of for an organization. They need that soccer goal. They need a visual, um, straightforward understanding of, of, of where they're going. In failed transformations, Cotter says, you often find plenty of plans and directives, but no vision. Um, and, and that's certainly the case. Um, <clears throat> he also says, as a rule of thumb, if you can't communicate a vision to someone in under five minutes, and get a reaction that signifies understanding and interest, you're not done with this part of the transformation process. Error four, under communicating the vision by a factor of 10. I talk about in several of these podcasts that communication is oftentimes understood to be the cornerstone of a change effort. And uh, so Cotter talks about how leaders oftentimes under communicate um, the vision. And uh, transformation is impossible unless hundreds or thousands of people are willing to help often to the point of making short-term sacrifices. Um, and, and so, you know, if you, if you look at one of, the, one of the theories of leadership we cover in this course is transformational leadership. And transformational leadership is very much about emotion and buy-in and about getting people to make sacrifices. And a big part of change efforts is getting people to make sacrifices for a greater good, right? You know, the Kennedy, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, that that approach um, is very much a part of change. In the more successful change efforts, uh, executives tend to use all existing communication channels to broadcast their vision. Um, you turn everything from the boring, you know, monthly newsletter to, uh, you know, boring, tedious meetings. Everything comes back around to the change and the vision, right? You find ways to integrate it into everything you do. Um, and as we've talked about in one of the other articles, um, perhaps even more important because the executives, um, they learn how to walk the walk, right? How, how to, how to, to, to 
to take action to their words, right? You know, they do the mundane behaviors that are important uh, in order to signify that they are bought in, right? I had a, a leader one time at an organization, and the organization was supposed to be very customer-focused, and they are having this giant uh, weekend when all these folks were going to be on campus, and the president of the institution um, encouraged all the staff and all the faculty and everyone with the institution to park you know, well outside of the university to allow more parking for all these potential parents and donors and students. And as you're walking to campus that day, parked in his normal spot right by the, his office is, the, is the, uh, the president's vehicle. So again, that's an example of an opportunity that was missed because if he had maybe parked that thing off campus, that would have been walking, walking the talk, right? And followers tend to notice those things when, when you're trying to initiate change and engender sacrifice. Error five, not removing obstacles to the new vision. I won't spend a lot of time on this one, but uh, to some degree, a guiding coalition empowers others to take action simply by successfully communicating the new direction. But communication is never sufficient alone. Renewal also requires the removal of obstacles. So this can be things like processes that get in the way, systems that get in the way, um, and people that get in the way. Uh, you don't necessarily have to terminate the person, but you may want to uh, reallocate their, uh, their efforts somewhere else. So uh, removing obstacles is a big one. Error six, not systematically planning for and creating short-term wins. Um, change efforts can take years, and people, people's motivation gives out before then, right? If you've ever been on a diet, you know, sometimes your diet, your motivation gives out in a week or two. If you haven't seen weight loss in one or two weeks, a lot of people give up because they just can't. It's not so much that they can't do it. It's that they need to see evidence that what they're doing is making a difference. And, uh, and if you don't see that quickly, people lose motivation fast. So in change scenarios, you've really got to um, plan for and create short-term wins early on to keep people's motivation up, right? Um, Commitments to produce short-term wins help keep urgency levels and force detailed analytic thinking um, along the way. Error seven, declaring victory too soon. Um, one thing I mentioned in a previous article, uh, Lewin, who is uh, credited by many as being kind of the, the, uh, the author of change, he really talks about when you want to change a group, you need to unfreeze them from their current habits teach them a new way of doing things, and then refreeze that new way of doing things and make it the new habit. And so until changes sink in deeply into a company's culture, uh, and that can take years, new approaches are very fragile and can easily be cast aside, right? So, you know, again, let's go back to dieting is a great example, right? You take on a new diet, um, you start eating differently, you start exercising, and that's great. But unless that becomes a new way of life for you, if you lose weight but you don't keep up, um, if you think by losing weight you've declared victory, there's a very good chance you'll backslide into your old habits. Because um, it can take, you know, up to several years for you to really form habits that are your new kind of way of living. Um, and it's the same thing with organizations and change. They quickly fall back into old habits. Um, <clears throat> 
Ironically, uh, Cotter mentions it's often a combination of change initiators and resistors that creates the premature celebration, right? Um, the initiators are so excited that they're seeing some progress. They go over one like, yay, look how great we're doing. And then the resistors are like, yeah, we've done it, great. And this way we don't have to do it anymore. And they quickly point to the victory as a sign they don't have to keep doing this. Um, and so as a result, you end up with, uh, with a short-term win, but declaring victory too soon. And then lastly, instead of declaring victory, leaders um, of successful efforts tend to use the credibility afforded by the short-term wins to talk even bigger, tackle even bigger problems. This is kind of the premise of lean management, right? Continuous improvement. You know, every time, every time you you improve, you look for another area where you can improve. After that, right? You're never finished, um, and that's the approach that you want to take in a change effort. And then, lastly, number eight, not anchoring changes. This kind of goes to what I was talking about earlier in terms of building habits. Um, you really have to build and bake the change into the culture of the organization. It has to become part of the company's DNA in order for it to withstand the challenges and the uncertainty that's bound to be in front of us, right? Um, two factors particularly important in institutionalizing change into a, into a culture. First is a conscious attempt to show people how the new approaches and attitudes have improved the performance. A lot of times you'll see the improvements, but people will attribute it to things other than what actually caused the change. Um, so you've got to make sure you help people connect the dots, right? This is what caused this. And then the second factor is taking time to make sure the next generation of top management um, is going to maintain those change efforts. So you really want to bake uh, those, those attitudes and values that stand behind the change into the promotion criteria so that the people you put in positions of authority long-term are going to value the same things that were a part of the change to begin with. So that wraps up the HBR article, Leading Change, Why Transformation Efforts Fail.